0: you want to stand with me just while we read these verses here and then we'll go into prayer and we'll get into the word as the kids settle out and we settle in this morning last week we heard habakkuk's complaint this week we get to hear what the lord has to say to this prophet look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded for i am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence in their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. This is God's words. You may be seated. Let's go into prayer. Fathers, we just continue on this morning. Pray that you would prepare all of our hearts for what you have for us. Lord, as we just are in worship before you on this day, celebrating the fact that we have the ability because of Jesus to be before you, to thank you, to lift up your name, to bring glory to the name of who you are, the great I am. Help us as we take a look at a hard portion of your scripture. Soften our hearts and open our minds that we may hear what it is we need to learn through what it is your people Israel learned all those thousands of years ago. Father, we want to remember before you this morning, just Rob and Kathy. Pray you would bless them, that you would just continue to strengthen them, that you would be with them as Rob is working with his dad. Pray for his dad, that you would just continue to bless him. Pray your peace be with them, for Flossie, Lord, for Shirley, for Jeff, for Tadge, for anybody else that is continuing to heal. We thank you, first off, that you are a God who heals. Sometimes you do it right on the spot, miraculously, and other times you do it through the very gifted hands of physicians and nurses. We thank you in both cases, Lord, because every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of heavenly lights. Lord, we want to lift up Brady and John to you as well as they are on the front end of transitions, I know, this year from one post to another and decisions that they need to make. I pray that you would have your hands upon them, that you would watch over them, that you would give them good counsel in their hearts. Lord, and for everybody that serves in this country, that you would watch over them and you would bless them. For our leaders, Lord, that you would give them wisdom. Father, for the church, that we would be given wisdom as well that we would remember the task that you had given us what is at hand for us in the culture and the society that we are in help us to sort out what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do remind us Lord of the fact that we make much of Jesus in spite of what this world has to say about him and we thank you Lord for the word that you've preserved for us and now as we go to it may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? For those of you who don't like the heat, it's a little bit more bearable, I suppose, today, isn't it? I think autumn came on pretty quickly. It escalated a little bit faster than I cared for it, too. But there you have it. Uh, I've titled the message this week, really, very simply, God's Sovereignty. God's Sovereignty. And we are going to be looking at verses five through eleven. It's all right if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, but if you do have one, I would encourage you to take notes in your Bible and we've we'll provided a place for you as well in the in the bulletin to be able to take notes. I want us primarily focusing today as we take a look at the Lord's response to what Habakkuk asked last week is, is that God's sovereignty ought to give us and his people a settled peace in all of the chaos that's going on around us. It's a doctrine that we tend to forget because we are so independent as a people. But God's sovereignty ought to give his people a settled peace in all of the chaos that surround us. We are kept by God, the scriptures promise us, in Christ. Most especially, always, but most especially as we deal with trials and tribulations in this world. I remember as a kid, I'm sitting down trying to figure out how it is we can understand what we have to look at today. And I remember as a kid, and most of you who are older than I am probably remember this better than I do. I was growing up in the 70s and the early 80s. The constant threat that there seemed to be of nuclear war between the Soviet Union and the United States. We're always worried about that. Since the end of World War II and the start of what became known to us as the Cold War, the race was on between these two superpowers on this planet to figure out who would rule, "quotes the world, at least as far as nuclear superiority was concerned. The Soviets, we have learned since Stalin's death and since the opening of the borders there, were a brutal, oppressive, and repressive regime who ruled with fear and who ruled by fear. Everybody was afraid. Fear of being sent to the Gulag in outer Siberia, tortured. And even killed at times simply because you thought badly of the government and of the leaders of that government. That was enough for you to disappear from the face of the planet. And here in the United States, President Ronald Reagan affectionately called them the evil empire. Because we have to divide somehow over something. And we're reminded of that. And that empire was one in which had to be stopped at all cost for the good of all of humanity. That was the narrative and that was the story. Why? Because the Russians, the Soviet Union, if they were allowed to do whatever it is they wanted to do, would ruin our way of life and the way of life for any free-loving person. It would destroy the freedoms that we hold very dear. They would, as a godless nation, come in and sweep away all of our freedoms to worship and our freedom of expression and all of those things. And in many respects, I think that's one of the best ways for us to be able to take a look at how the Israelites saw this people, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, whom God was going to be sending to them to bring about his justice. They were seen exactly that way, not only by Israel, but by the entire known world at that time because of the way they were. They were a nation whose own pride whose own arrogance and their own strength was their God. They cared very little about what anybody else thought. And anyone who has taken the time to study ancient Near Eastern history is going to discover, much as with the Assyrian Ninevites in Jonah's time, who we learned, the Babylonians were a brutal people. They were a violent people. They were merciless. And they were seemingly unstoppable at the time that Habakkuk was prophesying. Every single culture, every single nation in their path feared what would happen to them when the Babylonian army came knocking at the gate of their city and waiting them out until they were starved or they were in need of water. And it is into that type of context this morning that we find ourselves understanding Habakkuk the prophet and in the Lord's response. You see, because Habakkuk's complaint regarding God's seeming indifference towards the violence, towards the idolatry and the injustice of his own people, his own chosen people, is given a response in these verses that is tantamount to the United States being told that the Soviet Union is going to be the one that is going to be used by God to bring judgment against the United States of America because of her injustices and her rebellion. I think that's a very good comparison. It doesn't make sense, though, does it? See, our perception and our skewed view, as it can be at times as we take a look at history and as we look at ourselves, is that we always think that we are, quotes, the righteous one amongst everybody. God's chosen, as it were. How on earth can he do that to us? A godless and a wicked people, an oppressive people judging us. How on earth and why on earth would God do that? Thus, Habakkuk's complaint we would do the same thing look at God, all I was doing was complaining about your people being sinful, about your people not carrying out justice the way you're supposed to, about your people being rebellious and disobedient what do you say you just use me or perhaps somebody else who might be a little bit less violent than these Babylonians to straighten out your people wouldn't that just work a lot better for us honestly wouldn't you think that I would. That's exactly how I would think. That's exactly how I would want the Lord to respond to me. Why? Why would we all do that? Well, We're human beings, and we're broken human beings where we are. And we forget far too often about God's sovereign hand upon the affairs of men and about His good purposes for humanity. And we try to run things ourselves. You see, it makes good sense then here, as we get into these verses, that God begins his response as he does. In fact, reading right through to verse 6, if we start in verse 5, we find that our refrigerator verse of verse 5 that we learned last week, that we love so very much to quote, should not be seen in such a positive light as we tend to see it. Look among the nations and see... Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Okay, taken by itself, you can make that mean anything you want it to mean, can't you? It actually sounds pretty positive, doesn't it? Arise, let's move in that direction, Lord. But you see, that's what we tend to do. We tend to quote it out of its context, and we miss what God is actually going to do here, and what it is he's saying to this prophet Habakkuk see, because following up with the answer to Habakkuk's complaint of injustice going forth in a perverted way by those who often know better, God responds in the most surprising of ways, starting in verse 6. For behold, usually when he starts that way, probably not going to end well. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, depending upon your version, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Be encouraged, young man. No. God's going to use a people one would never expect God to use. And it's an unsettling thing. All in order to correct the sin of his own people. We don't like that. As moms and dads, we are very, very comfortable with making sure that our children are disciplined in an appropriate way. And we expect them to understand that because we're their mom and their dad, that this is how it's supposed to be. But when God the Father does that to us as his children, instead of rejoicing because that means that he loves us, the writer to the Hebrews says, we get mad and go, why on earth would God do that? Why would he do that? See, that's an unsettling notion if we think it through for ourselves. And yet, it ought to be a great comfort instead. Why? Well, the sovereignty of God in the affairs of men ought always to be a settled comfort for those who follow him. That's why it's important for us to remember the doctrine of God's sovereignty. We don't need to be theological eggheads, but we do need to understand that God's hand of providence and sovereign care of his people is upon this world. And those who follow him need to find great comfort in that. But instead, our independence, our self-will, our pride, our arrogance, our self-determination often cause us to forget that while we are free to choose, in the midst of that, God ultimately is still sovereign over the affairs of mankind, whether we like it or not. And you see, he does what's best, 100% of the time, even when it's disciplined. And we don't like that either. Habakkuk is a little bit unsettled with what's being brought before him. Knowing this, knowing that his sovereign hand guides the affairs of men ought to always bring us comfort. It shouldn't unsettle us. Most especially when we are struggling. When we are faced with something that that we just don't even know what to do with. We can leave it in the care of God and we can understand that his sovereign plan and his sovereign purposes will work themselves out. Whether you're in the midst of going through a transition, you're dealing with a huge health issue, whatever it may be, you pick it. We could roll all day long with these things. If we understand God's sovereignty in these things, even in the most difficult of our times, we ought to find comfort in that. To know all of these things, as Solomon tells us in Proverbs, that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps is a very comforting thing, not an unsettling thing for us in the midst of chaos, in the midst of stress, and in the midst of struggle, in the unknown of what's coming down the road for us. It's a comforting thing. We are not free from responsibility, and prayerfully, we choose right and we choose wisely. That's why it's good for us to understand that God is sovereign. But to know ultimately that God leads us and guides us in his providential care, and in his sovereign hand is important for us. We do our best. We walk in this. And it ought to bring us a very settled peace in the midst of all of this. And this is why, as I always say, it is absolutely vital that we have a strong prayer life and that we have a strong devotional time when we are in the word. I can't say it enough. I see you for 40 minutes at most a week with this book open in front of me. That leaves you with 167 hours and 20 minutes in a given week that you have to build that relationship with the Lord on your own. Carve out that time to be in His Word. Carve out that time to be prayerful before Him. All I can do is get you thinking in the right direction and feed you what you need to have at least to get you going for the week. But goodness, if you're depending upon me to get you to next Sunday, you're starving yourself, you're wrong, and you're going to fall on your face by Wednesday at best. Don't. It's vital that you have a good prayer life. It's vital that you have a good time in the Word during the week where you can carve that out. If you don't have even 15 minutes a day for the Lord, I'm telling you right now, you're booking yourself too tight. You're booking yourself too tight. It ought to bring us a deep, settled peace of God's sovereignty. But for now, we're stuck with poor Habakkuk, our friend, here in this book. He's not quite there any more than in some instances in our life. We aren't quite there, are we? Most especially as the Lord continues with his response to this complaint. Not only are these people coming, buckle up, it's going to be a fun ride, but here's how they're going to do it. They're going to bring all of their might to bear. There's going to be no kindness at all for you. They are dreaded and fearsome, he says, starting in verse 7. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. Well, that doesn't help Habakkuk out one bit at this point either, does it? I want us to see a couple things here as we unpack these few verses. The first thing is at the end of verse 7. Let's understand something here. The last part of verse 7 says their justice and their dignity go forth from where? It goes forth from themselves. It goes forth from themselves. Not from God, nor from His command, but from themselves. What that means is that these people are overstepping their bounds. God is using them in His sovereignty to do what He wants them to do. But within their freedom in that, they are overstepping their bounds. They are not doing just what God tells them to do. They're doing what he tells them to do, and then some, and then some more, and then some more. And study of Babylonian history shows us that their arrogance reached such heights that they had written their own laws, and they had made them commandments. And they had basically told the entire known world in honoring themselves as the greatest nation and the greatest lawgivers and the end all of all things. We rule the known world. Just go back into the book of Daniel and take a look at what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He who thinks he rules the known world shall eat grass. I leave that for you to figure out. It's somewhere in the middle of the book of Daniel. That's in your lap. See, in the other words here, what we have is that they were their own gods. God's. They weren't dependent upon the creator of the universe. And as is often seen down through history of humanity, we need to remember this. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. I continue to say this to my wife at home. It's the same goat wearing a different tuxedo. It's no different. It's no different. Power and pride always go hand in hand. And absolute power always corrupts absolutely. I know that sounds like a quip saying, but it has proven itself over and over again. And then second, let's take a look at the end of verse 9. Verse 9 paints a horrifying picture. It's a frightening picture here. These people aren't coming for simple conquest. That's not what they're doing here. No, they're coming for violence facing forward. That's what the ESV says. That seems a little bit weird. But in other words, what he is being told here is there is no retreat. There is no surrender. As Led Zeppelin would tell you, no quarter. No quarter. Taking everyone and everything in their path captive. Destroying anything that they can't carry with them. Just like the sand, they scoop it up and they bring it with them. Anybody encouraged yet? Want to go home and have our afternoon dinner now and just kind of leave it there? Because that's not real encouraging, is it? Unless, of course, we remember God's sovereign purposes and what he we will learn in the weeks ahead is that everyone is accountable to God. Everyone is accountable to God. Just because you are used by Him, we said this last week, doesn't give you permission to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. And that's for another sermon in the weeks ahead. We have to stop running up the flagpole particular people, particular governments, particular parties. And we have to be careful that we don't overstep our bounds. Because the church itself, if we study history, far too often under the guise of Christianity and under the flag of Christ, evil and injustices have gone forth throughout this planet. And we have to admit that. We have to ask the Lord for forgiveness when we miss the mark because we are to be holding out the light of Christ. What I like to say to people, though, is never judge the system by its abuses. There's always bad apples in every bunch. Never judge the system by its abuses. Jesus doesn't stop being Jesus because somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to. I was thinking yesterday... And I just throw this out and we move on. People are hoping that, you know, when Jesus comes back, he's going to be Lord and he'll fix this and everything's going to be okay and we have to get people to believe that he's Lord in order to make him Lord. We forget. He is. The I am. It's done. It doesn't look it, but it's a done deal. He is the I am. The victory is won, not will be won. The victory is won. He has already defeated sin. He has already defeated death. He has already defeated the grave. He has already defeated the Satan. Already done all that. If we would walk in that, life would be a lot easier. But sometimes we take off down roads where we're not quite sure that God's sovereign hand has got this under control. So that begs the question, how then do we live faithfully present within a culture and society like that? Because we're in the same conundrum that Habakkuk is in. What were God's people to do and what is God's people to do now in this day and age? Well, just like then, I want to encourage you three ways. We need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to obey. I'm not teaching you anything new. Not at all. We all ought to know all this stuff, but we need to be reminded of this. We need to remember, we need to repent, we need to obey. Remember his faithfulness. We sang about it very intentionally today, and then we read about it. Our first reading in Psalm 106, "'Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times.'" Now, that doesn't seem to say much, but think on this for a minute, because this psalm, and I leave it with you to read. Maybe you can go home this afternoon and open up your Bible, and you can read through Psalm 106. That'll be your homework. I think it will be very beneficial for you to take a look at it and see that there's a pattern that goes on in there. Because it's a psalm of remembrance. Whoever wrote it, we don't know. It's a psalm of remembrance, and it's a remembrance of what? It's a remembrance of God's faithfulness in the midst of His people's rebellion. And what you see there is this constant pattern of punishment, exile, repentance, restoration. And the only unfaithful piece in the whole deal is human beings. So you end up with punishment, exile, repentance, restoration. We find the Red Sea in there. We find the Babylonian exile in there. We find it all in there. I encourage you to read it if we can be honest with ourselves and we can remember God's faithfulness to His covenant promises, most especially as we find them in Christ, then even when we miss the mark on a day-to-day basis, and how many of you do that? I leave that with you to think on. We all do that. Even when we miss the mark, Christ has taken the hit. He has already fixed even the things that we haven't done wrong yet. And that I find great comfort in. You see, his death, his resurrection, his ascension has secured for us a salvation that even the devil himself cannot take away. Let me say that again very slowly. So for those of you who worry every morning when you get up, whether or not you are saved, whether or not the Lord loves you, the Bible tells us that because of the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus of Nazareth, who we know to be the Christ, the risen King, that has secured for us a salvation that even the devil himself cannot take away. Why? Because we are kept by God in Christ. That's his sovereign hand upon our life. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have gone even this week, how far down the road you fell off that wagon, it doesn't matter. How bad you actually think you are. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Two things are very true. No matter how bad you think you are, you're actually far worse. You're welcome. (laughs) I don't want to be alone in my pain. But the reality is, is if we look at ourselves the way we should, we are actually far worse than we actually think we are. That's why, you know, people can say the meanest things in the world to me. And sometimes they hurt, but I have to be reminded that, you know what? They can say the worst thing in the world they want to me, and it ought not to matter. You know why? Because Charles Spurgeon says, I'm even worse than what they think. So who cares? I'm not saved by their opinion or their grace. It is God's sovereign hand. Why? Because, number two, God in Christ Jesus has forgiven it all. Every bit of it. There's nothing that is left unforgiven if you would just walk into that and receive it and say, okay, Lord, I don't know who you are. I haven't even walked my life the way I'm supposed to before you, but what I'm hearing now tugs my heart. Listen to that. Step into that. That's what we call repent. We give over to him the things that we need to get over to him, and we say, Lord, fix me. Why? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what scripture tells us. Paul tells the community at Rome when explaining to them that we have peace with God by faith in Christ. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So I have a question for you, because I am going somewhere with this. Are the Babylonians ungodly? Are the Babylonians ungodly? Yes, they are. Is our country, is every country and nation in the world without Christ ungodly? Yes, that's right. God will judge them. You bet he will. Why? Pride and arrogance. As kings, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Pride and arrogance of every human race is seen in those two verses. We roll along doing whatever we want, taking whatever we want, thinking we are not accountable. God will bring judgment. But here's the catch. This is the catch here. He wants to save them that's the whole purpose to sending the people of Israel into exile. That rebellious generation that constantly failed to do what they were supposed to do got sent into exile. God wants obedience from every rebellious person on this planet. And he will do whatever it takes up to sending his son To die on a cross, to be buried in a hole, to be raised on the third day, to be ascended on the day of Pentecost, in order that those who are rebellious have a way home. And we are here, not so we can gather here on Sunday and hope that they don't contaminate us, but rather that we can launch out into the world in order to share that very truth. Why? Because God wants to save the Babylonians too. Now we need to make no mistake, sin and evil will be judged at Christ's return with no remorse, no anything. There's no recourse, nothing at all. Once that day happens, the books are open. If you have not fallen on your knees before Jesus, before that point, you have a problem. And it will be an eternal problem, not a finite problem. But for now... We live in the dynamic tension of the now and the not yet. So guess what we have? We have hope. We have hope. And the church of Jesus in this world is that hope for those who are lost. Remember our mission. Faithfully present within. Seeking the lost, making them whole. It's not tough, but it's difficult, isn't it? It's a little frightening. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I bring nothing to the table but brokenness. The Babylonians would bring nothing to the table but arrogance, pride, and brokenness. Really, that's what all we bring. But God's grace covers all of that. You see, the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. They were ripped from their homeland in a very violent way. Study the history. It was horrible. But it was because of their rebellion that that happened. It wasn't because God was just playing games like, you know, Zeus was arguing with Hades and Hermes came over and all that nonsense. No, they were rebellious against the Lord. And in God's sovereign plan, they were to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That was what their goal was all along. Isaiah 42, that is your goal. But how are they to do that now in exile? Faithfully present within the culture they find themselves. You think they were frightened? 900 and something miles away from home? Do you know how the Babylonian Empire made sure that nobody tried to escape and rise up and rebel against them? They would take the Israelites, and then they would take another country that they conquered. And instead of leaving them in their own country, they would take the Israelites and put them over in this country, and move this country and put them over here. Completely confusing how they thought, how they lived. And then they introduced Babylonian culture and forced them to do things the Babylonian way. Why would you rise up in rebellion for a country not your own? Answer, you wouldn't. Thus he would move people. Nebuchadnezzar would move them. Faithfully present within the culture they found themselves. They need to be faithful to God, present in the circumstances in which they found themselves, and active within the day-to-day function of their culture for everyone's benefit going slowly because we need to understand this took the long roundabout way to understand that in God's sovereign plan in Christ we are kept and we need to understand that we are the voice for him in this world so I leave you with what the prophet Jeremiah says to us he encourages us in this challenge to his people in exile in chapter 29 it's a little bit long But I want to leave this with you. Why? We have an assignment. And our assignment now is in order that the world will see Jesus. The assignment the Israelites had, you will find out here. So listen to this verses 1 to 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, now listen to this, it said... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Babylonians thought they did it, didn't they? Whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Rise up. Rebel. Take over the country. Kill the king. Figure out a way home. Any of that there? Build houses. And live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. How does that settle? Given what we've just learned. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Stop there for a second. The people of Israel would be a light of revelation to this world. Not only were they not that, they were in rebellion against God. So God, in their rebellion move them with his sovereign hand into exile all in order that his sovereign plan of making the people of israel a light of revelation to the gentiles in the midst of where he puts them so the babylonians think they've captured the israelites the israelites are mad at god because god has moved them god says oh no this is my plan pray for the welfare of the city For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie. They're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. There's another verse we like to quote out of context. We think that's a wonderful, encouraging verse, and it is. But guess where it's given? People are in the midst of exile. And they're in the midst of struggle, and they're in the midst of pain. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. We are in exile. The church in this world is in exile. We are strangers. We are sojourners in a land not our own, the Bible tells us. Everything that's going on in this world, the Bible promised thousands of years ago, we can expect it. We ought not to be surprised. But we ought to be encouraged. We ought to be comforted. And we ought to know what our task is in this world and focus on the correct things so that Jesus can be made much of in the midst of a world that is trying to figure out why it is so broken without the very God who created them plant yourself it's unsettling but pray for your city pray for your country I don't care who's in public office. That's not defined for us. We are to pray for all. We are to love every human being, no matter what. In the midst of that, we are to be a light of revelation to those who are lost. All in order that the world may see Jesus. The Lord will not let us escape our assignment. If we are faithful to Him, He will fill us with the Spirit and empower us to be able to do everything He asks of us that the world may know. Let's stand. I could have the prayer teams come to their places. We're going to close in one last song. But I want to encourage you, if you are challenged today, I know I have been all week, to understand what it is the Lord's trying to do in my life. I want to challenge you, if if you're being perhaps even torn apart and tugged out on the inside because you're trying to figure out what the Lord's trying to do, I want to encourage you to come and get prayer before you leave here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And where else can we go to get prayer before the Lord except here? Thank you, Father. Melissa. en